This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were friends, and apparently their friendship was really important for their writings. It is, it's hard to imagine a world without the writings represented by these two colossal uh, men of literature of the 20th century. I mean, Lewis contributing Narnia and the Space Trilogy and The Great Divorce and Mere Christianity and dozens of others, and Tolkien, of course, The Lord of the Rings and every, all things Middle-earth. What would our world be like without this friendship and what the two of them together produced? It's sad to even try to imagine that. Centuries earlier, there was another friendship. It was actually two brothers and another friend, Gregory and Basil and, and their friend, another Gregory, who learned basically everything they knew from one of the older sisters, Macrina. But these friends grew up in what is now eastern Turkey in the fourth century at a time when the whole eastern part of the Christian world was enthralled by a heresy that denied the divinity of Christ. And Gregory, Gregory and Basil all grew up to be bishops and they maintained their friendship, and especially Basil of Caesarea and Gregory of Nazianzus would meet together often, and in their friendship and in these retreats, they would pray together for one another. They would encourage one another. And the collective works of these three saved the Orthodox faith from that heresy. And the tide turned, and in about 50 years, that heresy was gone. From that friendship comes the articulation of our Trinitarian faith. We're going to study a friendship today between these two women. Yes, they were relatives, but no doubt they were also good friends, especially after those three months together at such a precious time in their lives. And greater than what Tolkien and Lewis contributed, greater than even what the Cappadocian fathers contributed, the gift that these two women gave amounted to nothing less than the salvation of the world, God working through them. So we're going to walk through the story, open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. And as we walk through the story, uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us. At the end, I have a pastoral word that I'd like to pass on to us. All right, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. So that'd basically be like Gabriel going to Mitchell, South Dakota. Now, some of you have heard of South Dakota. <laughs> to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. All right, so what is a poor, car why is he a poor carpenter? living in Mitchell, South Dakota, when he's of the lineage of David. I mean, he should be one of the princes in the capital city, or at the very least, a noble in the land, and yet here he is, a poor carpenter way out in Galilee. Well, this shows us how far the Davidic line has fallen in, into almost non-existence. And the promises that God made to David are now but a forgotten and ancient memory. We taste a little bit of this. Let me read to you from Psalm 89. Here's a lament from the psalmist saying, You have cast us off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. That's not true, by the way. God never renounced the covenant, but that's what the psalmist is feeling. It feels like you've renounced your covenant with your servant David, for you've defiled his crown in the dust. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? It had been about 400 years since a legitimate ruler from the line of David had been known and was leading in Israel. 
400 years, about the same time that Israel has been captive in Egypt. And like Israel in Egypt, now too they're asking the same question, God, where are you? And God in the story is saying, I'm about to show up in a big way, actually a small way, but a big small way, or a small big way. Yeah, that's the one. So the angel comes to Mary, who's betrothed to Joseph. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Sort of like Wilbur the pig when he meets Charlotte the spider and she says, Salutations. And he doesn't know what that word means, and so he's troubled at the greeting. Okay, no, a little different than that. Now, mostly when people meet an angel, they're afraid at the appearance. That's what shakes them up. But look at what Luke tells us. It's not the appearance, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. Favored one. Oh, you've got the wrong gal. <laughs> I know my Bible. I, I know who gets called favored one. You look it up. It's, it's Noah found favor with God. It's, it's Moses. If I found favor in your sight, it's Samuel grew in the favor of the Lord. It's David. Mary, she's saying, I, I don't belong in that company. And the angel is saying, oh, yes, you do. Mary, you are favored. God has his eye on you, so don't be afraid. Behold, in verse 31, now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, we don't have time to linger on these really rich verses that contain some, some really deep truths about who the Lord is. We don't have time to linger on them, but let's just say that in a nutshell, they capture together every uh, hope, dream, all the prophecies that the prophets had prophesied of old are contained, and, and the the angel is basically saying, they're all going to come true in this child that is being given to you, Mary. It's all coming true right now. And her response, verse 34, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin, since I, I know no man. And we might think, all right, well, Zechariah asked a similar question. How can I know this since I'm old and Elizabeth is old? And the angel rebuked Zechariah for his unbelief. Is Mary asking this question in unbelief? Well, we know the answer is, is no for two reasons. Well, one, the angel doesn't rebuke her the same way he rebuked Zechariah. But also, if you look ahead to verse 45, Elizabeth, who's speaking by the inspiration of the Spirit, says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Word. So Mary's question is not one of unbelief. She actually so believes the angel that she assumes that what he's saying will happen immediately, right? Because she's, she's engaged. She might have just thought, well, sure, in a few months I'll be married to Joseph, and this angel is talking about the child that we'll have together. But no, she assumes that the angel is saying, this is going to happen now, because she knows her Bible stories, and that unless God specifically designates a later time that he's going to do something, usually when he speaks, the thing is done. And so she says, I know you're not asking me to sin, and go lay with a man, so how will this be? Her question is, what do you want me to do? 
And the angel tells her, you don't have to do anything. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, for this reason, the child will be called holy, because Jesus is of the Holy Spirit. He's born of the Virgin Mary and of the Holy Spirit. That means he's holy, holy, set apart, utterly unique. No one like him in the world. Now, it's true that he takes his human flesh, his human nature from Mary. That's the church's teaching. He takes his human nature fully from Mary. And in that respect, he's just like every one of us. But in this respect, he's different. While at the same time being fully human, he takes his divinity from the Holy Spirit, and he is fully God. Fully God, fully man, together in this one person, the Son of God and the Son of Mary, Jesus of Nazareth. This is a deep truth and a great mystery. Now, this overshadowing of the cloud uh, of the Holy Spirit, it's like the overshadowing of the cloud on the day when the temple was dedicated. Solomon built the temple, and then they all gathered for a festival to basically begin the functioning of the temple. And at that moment, the cloud of the glory and the presence of God came and it overshadowed the temple. And in that overshadowing, God placed His name, which signified His presence in the temple. And the cloud was so thick, they had to bow to the ground. And the same thing is happening. Only Mary's the temple, the cloud overshadowing. And God is now, for the first time ever, is putting His physical presence in that temple. Wonderful mystery. But the angel reminds us in verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. He said, just so you know, Elizabeth, who was barren, your relative, she is pregnant. Nothing will be impossible with God. And indeed, these two impossible conceptions, these two impossible births, <laughs> two situations in which it's impossible to conceive, one because she's too young she's a, and she's a virgin, the other because she's too old and past childbearing, and in both cases, children are conceived. And so it's worth pausing and, and noting our entire story, the story of salvation, the story of God with His people at several moments, ever so delicately, and this is not the only moment, but at several points, hangs upon miraculous motherhood. Praise the Lord. So the angel finishes his message. Mary responds with her all-famous yes, unequivocally, without qualification, yes. And in a moment, done, she's now pregnant. Now, Elizabeth's yes was a different yes. Elizabeth's yes was a long-suffering yes. It wasn't all in a moment. In verse 6, we're told that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous before the Lord. They're blameless, seeking to follow Him and obey Him in all His commands. In Zechariah, we see this righteousness on display because he remains with Elizabeth. He does not abandon her. You know, it was custom at that time. It was it was not unthinkable that if your wife was not bearing you children, you would just go and find another. And Zechariah says, I will not do that. I will remain. She's my wife, and he's righteous. Elizabeth's righteousness is demonstrated in that she did not grow bitter. Roughly 30 years of childbearing years, no child, and not getting bitter. That's, think of it this way, 
360 monthly cycles, hoping and nothing, and still refusing to be bitter and choosing to be right with God. I may be childless, she says, but I can still hunger and thirst for righteousness, and I will not have that taken away from me, and I will not lose that to bitterness and despair. No, the prize of being right before God and being blameless, not bitter, but blameless in His sight, that was worth even more to her than the thing that she wanted most in the world. Do you so prize righteousness? Do you so prize righteousness and walking blamelessly before the Lord, seeking to follow His commands? That nothing would come between you and that prize, even the thing or the absence of the thing you want most in the world. As Father Matt reminded us two weeks ago, blameless doesn't mean perfect or sinless, but it does mean we're clear about our goal, our eyes on the Lord seeking to obey. And when we stumble, we ask forgiveness and we keep going. That's blameless. That's righteousness. And this was Elizabeth's yes, a lifetime of righteousness, 30, 40, 50 years in the making. That was her yes to God. Two things I want to say to those of you who are, in fact, childless, hoping to have children, or to any, who is, any of you who are living with a significant, unfulfilled longing. First, like Elizabeth, would you so prize righteousness and blamelessness? Would you so prize these things? Would you hold these things higher than even the thing you want most in the world? And would you refuse and, and fight the temptation towards bitterness and instead persevere, and indeed your reward will be great? As the prophet Isaiah tells us, let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, those who love what is righteous. Don't you know that God cares about that? To them I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. But the second thing I want to say to you is do also remember the words of the angel. Nothing is impossible with God. And there may be some of you this morning who've lost the courage to persist in asking, and I want you to discern with the Lord, are you done asking yet? Discern with the Lord. Discern because it may be that He says, yes, you're done. You can set that desire aside. But it may be that He says, no, I want you to ask. And I want you to not stop asking until you have what you've asked for. There's a mother at resurrection who for years was childless. They sought to have children. And the Lord told her to do this very thing. He said, go to the side every week and ask for a child. And she, she said, I did to the point of embarrassment. But she's the kind of woman that when God says to do something, she's going to do it. So she did it. And she did it until... 
the Lord gave her a child. Thanks be to God. For nothing is impossible with God. And if you discern that he's leading you into persistent asking, ask with faith. And now Mary and Elizabeth come together. Look at verse 39. In those days Mary arose. She went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. Now just for perspective, this journey would be as far or probably even further than the journey to Bethlehem that she would do in less than a year to give birth to Jesus. So this is a long journey. She makes it to the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And at her voice... When Elizabeth hears that the baby in her womb leaps for joy and she begins to prophesy, being filled with the Holy Spirit, she prophesies, blessed are you among women. That means you're the greatest of all women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, she calls her the mother of my Lord, should come to me? Now, Elizabeth is prophesying by the Holy Spirit. She has no idea of anything that the angel has said to Mary, anything that's gone on for Mary at this point. So this is all coming by direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, Elizabeth did know, because of what was told her about her son, that the Messiah would be coming soon because her baby's job, after he grew up, it wasn't a baby anymore, but her baby's job would be to prepare the way for this Messiah. But... She didn't know who the Messiah would be or who his mother would be or when this would happen. It could be a year. It could be 10 years. It could be 30 years in what the Lord calls soon. She didn't know. And yet only six months later, into her room walks the Messiah and his mother. Well, he's in utero. But into the room comes Mary. And of all the people in the world, it's her own relative. Elizabeth is astonished. She said, wait a minute. You? I can't believe this. Imagine the joy. Imagine the shock, the wonder of that meeting. Plus, remember Zechariah? Elizabeth is probably just really happy to have somebody to talk to. <laughs> hey, Zechariah, guess who just came in the door? Oh, yes, right, you can't talk. Like, get in here, it's the Messiah. <laughs> what Elizabeth is saying is direct inspiration from the Holy Spirit. It's prophecy which is why Mary is so encouraged. That's what prophecy does, is it takes something that you already know and you believe and is true, but it makes it come alive. It makes it from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. It makes it something that you'll never forget and you can hold on to, and it changes your life. That's prophecy. Now, Mary was a woman of faith. We already established this. But even those of great faith need their faith to be bolstered. Even they need to be encouraged. And God chose in this friendship between Elizabeth and Mary that he would encourage Mary. Isn't this amazing? Even Mary, who was just called greatest of all women, needs to be encouraged, needs to be built up, needs to be the recipient of this prophecy. So when Mary hears these words from Elizabeth, the angel's message to her comes back to life with now a renewed vividness and doubled strength, because not only is Elizabeth saying all the things the angel said, but also Mary can look and see, oh yes, and what the angel said about Elizabeth being pregnant, that's also true too. She must have needed this encouragement because till now she was all alone bearing this tremendous news and tremendous burden. We know this is a significant moment for Mary because it's now that she sings the Magnificat, not after the, the angel Gabriel, not after or on her journey down to Judea, but it's now at this moment she's encouraged and overflowing with joy, she sings a song. 
And Elizabeth continues in verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came, she's telling Mary, the baby in my womb leaped, leapt, leaped, I, I, <laughs> leaped. For joy, she says it's for joy. For joy. She knows because she's also filled with that joy that this baby is leaping for joy. And we all want to notice here the first recorded act of the newly incarnated Messiah and Son of God. The first thing he does when he shows up on the earth, he brings joy. It's kind of like his first miracle at Cana, a wedding makes more wine to increase the joy of the celebration. He comes to bring joy. That's the first thing. Don't forget that. So as soon as his presence entered the room and through the voice of his mother, joy is transmitted to John in the womb and the filling of Holy Spirit to Elizabeth. And we are to be like Mary. Earlier I said she's a temple. Well, do you know that you are also in the New Testament? You are called the temple, the church collective, but also every individual believer. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit, that you're being built together to be a dwelling place for the living God? Mary conceived Jesus in her womb. We conceive Jesus in our hearts when we're overshadowed by the same Holy Spirit when we first believe the good news about Jesus. Praise the Lord. And now in our story here today, Jesus remains hidden. You can't see Him. He's in there, but you can't see Him. What was seen was Mary's face. What was heard was Mary's voice. But it was the joy of the Lord Jesus that filled the womb of Elizabeth. And God wants to use you like that. Your face, your voice, but when you enter the room, it is Jesus hidden within you that is scattering joy like light upon water. And to conclude, I want to bring to us now a pastoral word. Here's what I want us to do with this. I want us to take a lesson from Elizabeth. What does Elizabeth do? What did, what did we just say she did for Mary? You see, she starts with blessing, she ends with blessing. She blesses, she encourages, she builds up her sister and her friend in faith. And I want us to be a church that blesses one another, encourages one another, seeks to build up one another in the truth and in our faith. We edify one another. Imitate Elizabeth, I say. Now, to bless and encourage is more than just saying nice things. That, that's just flattery. Flattery is cheap. Flattery often is lying, and it's always selfishly motivated. It's all for me in the end. But no, blessing and encourage is to say true things, not nice things, true things that build up the person, and you can see it in their face when it happens. And what we need is we need truth about the Lord, so speak truth about the Lord to one another and speak truth about that person. We need both kinds of truth. Tell me who the Lord is. Remind me who the Lord is. Tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. We all need this. If Mary needed it, you need it too. 
But for us to bless and encourage, it's only possible when we also do what Elizabeth did. Again, remember, she, she said, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth takes the lower place. To bless and encourage and to lift up and honor others, it's only possible when we take a step down and take the lower place. Now, you know that John the Baptist was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Well, here, Elizabeth is the forerunner of the forerunner. And the deference and the humility exhibited by Elizabeth here will be later demonstrated by John, her son, probably because Elizabeth taught him those things. God knew what he was doing when he chose this woman to be the mother of John the Baptist. Because at the right moment, when Jesus was rising in his ministry and John was seeing it, he said, he must increase and I must increase even more. No, that's not what he said. He must increase, I must decrease. And that's the posture we are all to take. He's number one and I'm number two. Now, that's nice and easy when it's about Jesus. We can all be number two to Jesus, but what about number two to one another? Which, for right now, that's Jesus. Jesus is the person next to you. How about you be number two to them? And here's Elizabeth. Who, who am I? Well, actually, you're a pretty great lady, Elizabeth. Who am I? A different kind of why me. Why me? Why this, all this suffering? Why these years of waiting? Why me? No. Why me? Why would this happen to me? Who am I? That kind of humility, that kind of childlike wonder, and that taking the lower place, this is what enables her to lift up and to honor and to not be jealous of Mary, but to fully enter in with joy to what the Lord is doing for Mary and for the whole world. So don't be afraid to take the lower place and to count others greater than yourself. Now, this blessing and this encouragement, it's hard because we're fraught with insecurity, jealousy, pride, conceit, and a critical spirit. Maybe it's just me. No, it's all of us. We compare ourselves to one another. We say, I want the recognition. I want you to notice me. I want the recognition. This is something I've been asking God for, not recognition, um, to be an encourager, like Elizabeth. I, I've been saying, Lord, I need to change because this is not natural to me. I want to be more like Elizabeth. Make me more of an encourager because my problem is I want to be the greatest. I want to be not just liked. I want to be most liked. I don't want to just be loved. I want to be most loved. But Elizabeth took the lower place, and not just as a chore, she delighted to take the lower place and to bless and to encourage. So really, I want to be like her. I want us to be a church like her, blessing and encouraging one another and not afraid to take the lower place. To have this mindset that we are on the same team, or to put it in the biblical language, we are members one of another, as Paul says in Romans 12 and again in Ephesians 4. And so when we criticize one another, when we bite, tear down, devour one another, even if it's just in our minds, when we do that, we're doing that to ourselves because we are one in the same body. So next time you step into a res group or your ministry team or you 
go to your apartment with your roommates or your home and your family or you step into the workplace, be asking this question, who can I bless? Who can I encourage? Who can I strengthen, sharpen, build up, quicken, stir up, support? How can I take a less than approach? Take the lower place in order to honor and lift up others. Lord, we, we do marvel at these two women, their humility, their godliness, their righteousness, and we say we want to be like them. Help us to even want to be like them. We also pray that as you did with Elizabeth, you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, first for joy. Lord, I pray for a healing for joy for anyone here this morning who is blind and cannot see the things that will bring joy. Would you heal them and give them a renewed spiritual vision to see the truth where they're now currently blinded, the truth that will bring them joy, joy which alone will conquer the despair of the world. Heal our spiritual vision and bring joy. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. And then I do pray, Lord, would you make us a church of blessing and encouragement, that that be our default. And Lord, we give to you our, our criticism. We give to you our selfishness, our conceit, our vanity, our hardness of heart, our all of these things that get in the way, the jealousy, take those from us, Lord, and make us more like Elizabeth, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.